Yes, good evening. Welcome to The Richie Allen Show. How are you doing? You well? It's exactly four o'clock here in the great state of, or the great city of Salford. I'd love to hear from you today. Please reach out to me via the app, via the website. Share your thoughts, your opinions, and whatever else you'd like to share with the BBG. I'd love to hear from you. It's going to be a good show, I think. Lots to talk about. Well, there always is. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, it's been quite a while, but Tony Gosling will be on the program a bit later on. Tony is the host of the Not the BCFM Politics Show, live out of Bristol every Friday. Former BBC journalist and old pal of mine. I like speaking with Tony. Because we often disagree. Isn't that good? It's like uh, the Monty Python sketch. I feel like an argument. I want to know. I've come for an argument. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? When comedy was comedy. I've come for an argument. Wonderful. How are you? You're right. I've already asked you. But uh, I'm asking you again. Uh, the news. The broadcast news media. Full full to capacity today. Bursting at the seams with news about the monarch of this country. Not my king. That's trending, by the way, on social media. Not my king. Fair enough. Uh, Charles is his name. He's 75 or 74. I can't remember. 75, I think. And he had an enlarged prostate, didn't he, recently? So he did what people with enlarged prostates do. He phoned the doc. The doc said, come in, we'll have a look. He went in to have a look. And the doc said, we found something else. So he doesn't have prostate cancer, but he has been diagnosed with cancer. And if you believed, well, if you watched the UK broadcast media today, you would imagine that the nation is already in mourning. And people cannot cope. People are collapsing under the weight of such news. The monarch has cancer. Jesus wept. He's 75, which isn't old. But I don't know if you've ever had an old car. I have in my time. You know, when, when, when a car is a good, good few years old, things do begin to go wrong. With it, the engine, I don't know, the alternator, I don't know, the clutch goes, doesn't it? It's the same with the human body, the spacesuit we wear. It's not unusual for a 75-year-old man to be diagnosed with cancer. And it's also not unusual for a 75-year-old man to make a complete recovery from cancer. So it, 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 it waits. It, it, um, we'll have to wait and see. I won't be watching with bated breath. I don't wish the man any ill will because I'm very comfortable in my energetic space while I despise everything about him and everything he stands for. If I know what he stands for, that is, I'm not sure, but if I'm, if I'm correct in thinking what he stands for, I would absolutely abhor, despise, loathe and hold him in contempt, but I don't wish ill on anybody. Harry has flown in from Los Angeles, minus Meghan Markle and minus the babies. I can't remember the names of the babies, but they haven't arrived. But Harry's in. And the papers are speculating, the broadcast media. Well, it must be bloody serious if Harry's flying in. I don't know. You might have thoughts on it. The Truther Industrial Complex is a funny place. It is. I enjoy it. I enjoy observing it. There are, there, there are many theories about Charles. I nearly said King Charles. About Charles and his ailment. And one of them is that there is nothing wrong with him at all. And that he will make a miraculous recovery the miraculous recovery will be attributed to mRNA anti-cancer jab or or something along those lines 
and then everybody will rush to get mRNA cancer vaccines. Now, I understand why some truthers are speculating so. I understand why they're speculating so, because mRNA cancer vaccines are in development, if they're not already ready to go. So lots of speculation about Charlie Boy. A lot of talk on social media about how these people live forever. It's like they heard that song on A Kind of Magic by Queen, Brian May, who wants to live forever and took it literally. But you know, we've, we used to joke on the Richie Allen show in years gone by, long before you ever knew about this programme. I was doing this programme in Spain and before that, okay? And Adrena Chrome was spoken of back then, much to my amusement. Well, these royal family people, Richie, they live forever and ever and ever because of adrenochrome. They have they have injections, they have blood transfusions, don't you know? And the blood transfusions are blood from little children and all sorts of stuff like that. Completely unsubstantiated now, these rumours, but very amusing. I'm not saying, I never say what is and what isn't true, because I don't know. I put down, I put the longevity of these people down to the fact that they generally tend to eat a lot better than most people who live in this country population around 67 million. I mean, they do. They are unfathomably rich. They've got everything. All of their wildest dreams. They've got it all, right? Chefs preparing the most wonderful food made from the best ingredients. They get a lot of vitamin D3. They spend a lot of time in the sun. They spend a lot of time skiing. They're outdoors quite a bit. So I put their longevity down to that as much as anything else, but maybe a picture will emerge someday. Maybe Jeffrey Epstein had videos of adrenochrome transfusions. I don't know. I used to find it all very amusing. Anyway, Charlie has cancer. Or, or, or does he? I mean, what do you think? Let me know via the medium of my app. Send me a message or via richieallen.co.uk even. Should I, should I say via or via? I haven't yet made my mind up. I've been mulling it over for about 27 and a half years. Donald Trump does not have presidential immunity court rules. Brilliant. This is grist, grist to the mill of Make America Great Again aficionados. They love this shit. Trump supporters. Wonderful. The culture wars. Donald Trump does not have presidential immunity and can be prosecuted on charges of plotting to overturn the 2020 election a US court has ruled. Trump had claimed that he was immune from criminal charges for acts he said fell within his duties as president. But today, a ruling... A unanimous one uh, in D.C. has struck down that claim. So Donald might be prosecuted for plans or for planning even to overturn the result of the election in 2020. Again, this will get great copy, great coverage in the alt-right media circles and all of that. We're going to talk a little bit about this in a minute because I have a little mini lecture for you. Stop. Take your fingers away from the button. Stay where you are. I promise you, I'll make it worth your while. It's new. <laughs> I've got something new to tell you. I have a theory, and it's a, it's about Liz Truss and something which happened in, in uh, where did it happen? In, in London, was it today? We'll come back to that. So yes, the news media coverage dominated by 
by Donald Trump, by, not, not by Donald Trump, by, by, by King Charles. And, and later this afternoon, as a Donald Trump story is gathering momentum. Okie doke, it's eight minutes past the hour of four o'clock. So let's move on then to talk about Liz Truss, which you might find interesting. Now, Truss, who was Prime Minister of the UK for all of 18 and a half minutes before, depending on who you believe now, committing political suicide by producing a budget alongside your man. What was his name? Quasi Quarting. Was that the guy at the time... Was he involved in that? This uh, man of you know this this budget that uh, Trust put forward, which was lambasted and lampooned in equal measures by her political opponents and by the entirety of the British media. So she lasted about eighteen and a half minutes before she had time to change the toilet seat in number ten. She was gone. She's back now. And she launched a group called Popular Conservatism. And I think we might want to pay attention to this, at least for a few minutes. Um, This was attended by, this meeting today, by such conservative luminaries as Jacob Rees-Mogg, terminological inexactitude darling, you might remember him, who's now got a TV show on GB News, Lee Anderson, until recently the deputy chairman of the Conservative Party, and also with a television show on GB News, yes. And Nigel Farage was there, or Farage, who is with Richard Tice's Reform Party these days and, believe it or not, has a television show on GB News. Yeah. No sign of Boris Johnson. I'll come back to that. According to Sky News, what does popular conservatism stand for? And who are the other Tory groups represented um, on the conservative back benchers, right? So that's a good question Sky News is asking. So popular conservatism, Liz Truss, has been dubbed the pop cons. The pop cons. Wonderful. It um, rolls off the tongue. Now it claims not to be a protest movement against the current Tory party and the current Tory leadership. No, no, we're not. Instead, they say, they say, well, we want to excite the public and give them freedom over their lives taking control away from faceless organisations which they define as judges, quangos and international human rights institutions. One of their policies is a call for robust control over borders, yawn. Uh, They back the government's Rwanda plan, but they don't think it goes far enough. They want the UK to leave the European Convention on Human Rights very quickly because the ECHR may stand in the way of chucking asylum seekers onto a plane and then sending them all off to Kigali. Is that right? Kigali, yeah. So the crippling tax burden people face, they'll push for further tax cuts and all of this, yada, yada, yada. They also say to the popcons, popular conservatism, they will, they, they would, given the opportunity, end net zero zealotry. They would dismantle the nanny state. They would stop the finger-wagging institutions attempting to regulate free speech, lifestyle and thought. So this all sounds lovely on the face of it, if you didn't know that it was one big massive wheelbarrow of manure. Yes, it is. I'll tell you why in a minute. Here's Liz Truss speaking for the Popcons 
today and do pay attention to it, please. Now, Britain is full of secret conservatives, people who agree with us but don't want to admit it because they think it's not acceptable in their place of work, it's not acceptable at their school. And people who are prepared to put their heads above the parapet and come out and stand as Conservative candidates, make Conservative arguments, are vitally important. So this organisation is not just about the members of Parliament. It's not just about the parliamentary candidates. It's actually about all of you and supporting all of you to be prepared to go and make those arguments with your friends and colleagues. There is a silent majority out there, says Truss, who agree with us, but are nervous about coming forward and having their say. We need to provide each other with support because the left is tough. You know, they try to drown us out, literally, uh, in the case of Steve Bray. And we have to have resilience and bravery to take on that fight. And the final thing we need to do is communicate with the public about our policies in an effective way. And I think Lee hits the nail on the head here. We need to communicate and show how people's lives will be improved by these policies. Too much time is spent talking about personality issues in the Westminster bubble. That's not what people want to hear. What people want to hear is how are we going to help them make their own lives better? How are we going to help make Britain more successful? How are we going to defend our country? Make Britain great again. Now, this fight is not going to be easy. The left have been on the march. They've been on the march in our institutions. They've been on the march in our corporate world. They're on the march globally. They are actively organising. But I believe this fight's important because I believe it's only through conservative values that we will give the people of Britain what they want. I feel it's only through conservative values that we will ensure the successful future of our nation. And I think the successful future of Britain is vitally important for the successful future of the West. So please join our organisation, get involved, this is just the beginning. Now, Thank you. Liz Truss, right, so that was the conclusion of it, the summing up of it. I want you to hear something she said a bit earlier in this speech because it's quite interesting. I'm afraid we have not taken on the left enough. And the left don't just compete with us at the ballot box now. They also work to take over our institutions. And we've seen that. We see it in much of the media. We see it in corporations. We see it most of all in the quangos and government bureaucracy that emerged under Tony Blair. But we didn't do enough to change it. We didn't do enough to take the power back. And Jacob makes a very good point about the legal system. But that is true with the Environment Agency. It's true with Natural England. It's true with the Office of Budget Responsibility. It's true with the Post Office. This is a problem that goes wider than just one government department. It goes right to the way we do government overall. And what that means is it means that the people making decisions aren't elected. Now, the people making decisions are not elected. You might be, you might be inclined to ask Liz Truss, when did you discover this, Liz? Was it recently or was it during the 13, nearly 14 years your party has held power in the UK. 
This is very important, and I want to talk more about this in a moment. It means that the people making decisions aren't elected. Yeah. And I know, having spent 10 years as a government, in the government, as a minister and ultimately as prime minister, that often as a minister in Britain, you have responsibility without having power. And even though you held a number of cabinet roles over the last 10 years, you never thought it appropriate to tell the electorate that on the face of it, it looked like you had some responsibility, but in reality, you had no power because unelected anonymous people were telling you what you could and couldn't do. This is hugely important, right? And that is a huge issue. It's a diminution of parliamentary sovereignty. Yeah, I suppose you could argue, uh, well, I will argue, it's something I've been trying to communicate to listeners on my radio programmes for the last uh, decade and a half. These people don't run squat. They are messengers. So Truss is saying this. And at the same time, she is saying the left is creeping around the institutions of our society, the educational, um, I suppose you could say, institutions of our society and she's saying it's infecting society with wokeness and culture wars and stuff like this and we haven't done enough to deal with this therefore we've got to do something about it now where is all this leading well i'll tell you what i think is going on in a moment here's beth rigby who's sky news political editor she was at this meeting and this was her takeaway what we saw in this room is that within the conservative movement within the grassroots of the party liz truss's ideas still have a lot of traction and this really is about the battle for the heart of the Conservative Party, not necessarily now, but certainly in, t in the run-up to a general election and after it. Um, and in terms of what the policies are, so much in these different speeches, but essentially it's anti-green and anti-net zero in the sense of bringing burdens forward to the public. Now, that now that's how it's meant to appear. It's anti-green, anti-net zero, anti-woke, pro-conservative values. That is how it is meant to appear. I'll explain in a moment why I don't think it is. Lee Anderson, uh, the former uh, Tory deputy chair, who resigned over the Randa policy talking about that. It's anti-woke. Uh, Liz Truss talked a lot about that. It's pro-immigration. It's anti-elite. Uh, the idea that decisions are made by elites. It is, if you like, pure-blown populism populism that we've seen uh, growing in popularity in different parts of the world, be that in our... This is very good from Beth Rigby. So what Truss is doing today, and she was there with Rhys Mogg and Farage, even though Farage is hooked up to the Reform Party at the moment, she was there with Lee Anderson. What Truss is doing now is beginning to give speeches and talk about things that we've seen in recent years. Um, your man in Hungary... Your man in Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro, Trump before uh, that, and now we're seeing the rise of what the media will call right-wing populist politicians around Europe. And that's what you're hearing now from Truss. We're anti-elite, even though they're not. Um, we're anti-green, we're anti-net zero, even though I don't believe they are, and I'll come on to this in a minute. We are your friend. We are there to stand up to this rising tide of green madness, of wokeism, 
um, of liberalism, um, you, you know, uh, the, the, the dangers to free speech, the problems with children. We're here to deal with all of that if you'll just give us a chance, says Liz Truss, who's been in government for 14 years. I don't think Rigby has anything else to say, does she? Argentina, or of course in the US with potentially uh, the return of Donald Trump. Yeah, I forgot your man in Argentina with the chainsaw. Right, so that's what's happening, I think. I never thought I'd see the day when I would be thanking James O'Brien on LBC for some information. I'll tell you why. Henry Riley is a reporter for LBC, and James O'Brien, who doesn't like Liz Truss or the Conservatives very much, surprise, surprise, wanted to find out a little bit more about popular conservatism or the pop cons, who they are and where they come from. Listen. There's a new gang in town, and it's led, yes, by, right. and it's led by Liz Truss. It's led by, well, technically it's led by Mark Littlewood, who used to be head of the... Um, IEA, the Institute of Economic Affairs. Oh. He's he's the director and he gave the opening and closing remarks today where he welcomed some of his friends onto the stage oh. and those friends that he welcomed were Liz Truss, uh, Sir Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, Mari Fraser. Firstly, the audience, there was, I mean, you had everyone from Lord Frost, Nigel Farage to oh. David Starkey. Um, oh. I mean, it was, it was a... Uh, it was certainly an interesting bunch of um, of members who were there. Very interesting bunch. So the public understands that this is Liz Truss and some very disgruntled Conservatives who are absolutely horrified by the direction the Conservative Party has taken and is taking and will be there to do something about the mess after Rishi, sorry, after Keir Starmer's Labour romps to power after the next general election. But um, O'Brien and his mate Henry Riley, to their credit, the only people to ask, well, what's really going on? Who's backing this particular group? And it's our old friends, the Institute of Economic Affairs. At this point, I'll save a little bit of time and I won't give you the entire spiel on the IEA, but it is a right-wing think tank that's been around since the 50s, about 70 years or thereabouts, an organisation that flatly refuses uh, to to announce or to reveal where it gets its funding from, although it's pretty well known because a number of investigative journalists over the years have been able to find out that some of the biggest petrochemical companies in the world, surprise, surprise, um, and big tobacco uh, firms um, are amongst their biggest supporters. Do you see where this is going, really? The outlandish hypocrisy of Liz Truss on the one hand to tell the truth and say, well, you know, ministers are have responsibility in name only and they don't have any real power. And unelected people whose faces you'll never see and whose names you never know are really pulling the strings behind the scenes. Um, but we're going to change all that, says Liz Truss. Oh, by the way, we were set up and we are being backed by the Institute for Economic Affairs, the biggest free market think tank in the UK. You see what's what's happening here. I'd love your thoughts on this, you see, because I want you to think about this, something we've discussed a million times before. The establishment, whatever is behind the horrors that we have borne, that, 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 that we have witnessed in the last few years in particular, but we because you and I have known about this for a number of years now, but if we, so, so we've known about this for a long time, but even in recent years, 
the the horrors that we have witnessed and out of those horrors the horrors that are to come and we take a look at what we believe is behind this agenda this dystopian agenda it must always guard against apathy when it comes to public affairs and politics now i know that for some of our listeners this is a bit of a stretch and i know that many people don't agree with this and that's absolutely fine and I'm happy to do a phone-in on this really soon. And I will read out the, the comments of those who disagree. I will specifically look for these comments. But, but I believe that which scares the cabal, the elite, the hidden hand, more than anything else is apathy. Now, the Times and the Times Radio commissioned YouGov to do a poll of voters, which was published today, and YouGov is a pretty well-known polling company, so it polls thousands of people. And what they found is a starkly... Um, well, well they, they found it to be stark, an apathy amongst people who don't really give a shite one way or the other, whether it's Rishi Sunak or Keir Starmer leading the country after the next election. And of course, you know and I know, nor should they give a shite which of them is leading the country after the next election. It doesn't matter a damn. And I think the establishment fears this. And I made an argument at one time. I felt it was a pretty convincing argument, but a lot of people disagreed with me. Fair enough. It's it's lovely to debate to, to these things, and I mean that. That the 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 early independent media was brilliantly successful in the nineties and in the noughties when there were not so many restrictions on what you could see and shadow banning wasn't really a thing in the in, internet's infancy so late nineties the the two thousands even up to 2009, 2010, when Twitter and Facebook were only really a couple of years old. And I think the independent media was hugely successful during that period of 90s, noughties, without so much restriction. They were able to open up the world to millions and millions of people, open up the discussion, I should say, about what's really going on, and that we don't live in a free uh, world, a meritocracy where if you get up and you know you go to work and you do your best and if you're a nice person and you pay your taxes, you'll be rewarded at the end of the day. The old indie media was able to pull back the, the veil of that wall of lies and show people, no, there's something else going on. And I think in the early 2010s, there was a little bit of panic uh, amongst those who are directing the 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 movement the, sorry directing reshaping the world in the way they want to reshape it i believe in the early 2010s there was a little bit of panic a little bit of panic we got to do something about this we've got to re-engage people with um public life because if people are apathetic if they don't give a shite in that state they are closer to realizing that it's all a game than they would be otherwise do you get what i'm saying now, again, I've got to say this, you know, cleverer people than me have debated me on this over the years and disagree with me, and that's fine. And we'll open up this debate again. But I think it's out of that concern about apathy that Donald Trump was handed, um, was, was, was given to the world, to the United States in any case, by those same elites to re-engage people with the 
the electoral process and with the two-party system and with the idea that your destiny is in your own hands. You have a choice, a viable choice. You have party A, party B. You get to choose. You get to have some say in the way the world is shaped in the next four years. But it's horseshit. But it was hugely successful, I believe. Hugely successful, even today, despite, you know, the bleeding obvious that Donald Trump reneged on every promise he made before he became president and then during the four years he was in office proved himself to be as much a friend to the cabal as any president who had ever gone before him. And I'm not going to say in my opinion because that's a provable fact, right? And I think we're seeing this now, I think. We're seeing it in Europe, we're seeing it in Central America and now it's coming to the UK, okay? And um, you have trust there. So, so let's imagine that Sunak gets an absolute shellacking in the election. Now, he might do. He might not. But I think he probably will. That's the current Conservative Prime Minister who's unelected, as was Liz Truss before him, unelected, basically, right? It's been a complete, I won't say what, what I was going to say. Anyway, so maybe there's a 1997-style loss in the offing for the Conservative Party. If you don't know your politics, they were obliterated by Tony Blair and Gordon Brown in 1997, okay? Um, Labour's biggest victory. I think even... Does it stand as the greatest, the most resounding victory? It's one of the most resounding victories in the general election of all time. Anyway, so imagine he does. Imagine the Conservatives get wiped out and have an unimaginable defeat. Might you then have the formation of a brand new political party? using the name the popular conservatives, vote the popcons, vote the popcons. Maybe the reform party also gets a shellacking in the forthcoming general election and Richard Tice and his pals um, don't um, make any impact whatsoever. Could you see then Tice and Nigel Farage maybe join Liz Truss, maybe. Suella Braverman, the former Home Secretary. Jacob Rees-Mogg. Maybe Miriam Cates and some other so-called right-wing Tory MPs maybe come together to say, we're the antidote now to what's coming. Because obviously what's coming when the Labour Party gets in, as it will inevitably do, is, well, it's going to be the agenda on steroids, isn't it? It's going to be the climate change measures on steroids. It's going to be censorship on steroids, taxation on steroids, and all of that. We've got to have some opposition to it. We can't have people taking to the streets with pitchforks and with, with, with uh, lighted torches. We can't have people taking to the streets maybe permanently, once and for all. So what will we do? Well, let's give them popular conservatives. Let's do that. Let's give them these right-wing heroes and heroines who, 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 who vainly, who in vain, try to reverse the decline of the Conservative Party. These anti-woke people, these anti-green people, these anti-globalists like Liz Truss, and maybe swanning in to lead them was the man who was conspicuous by his absence today, maybe Boris Johnson, just maybe. What do you reckon? Is that the greatest pile of horse manure you've ever heard in your life? It might very well be, but I don't know. I've been mulling it over today. Because if you accept that there is a secret government, a hidden hand, directing the government or most governments around the world, if you accept this, and I think we accept it, I think it's self-evident, reshaping the world, 
the technocratic transhumanism society they want to build, with all that goes with that, cashless society, massive restriction on your movement, 15-minute cities, right? But they need the great unwashed, you and me, to believe in the system, to believe we have a choice. So when Starmer is taking the country in this direction, we've got to give people the illusion. We've got to give them some Pied Pipers to make them believe that we have a choice. It worked in America. It's worked in Hungary with Orban. It's worked in Brazil. So remember, Farage, Rees-Mogg, Lee Anderson and Nadine Dorries, who I didn't mention, very good friend of Boris Johnson's, they've all got their own news programmes on British television. Can you believe this? Right? Isn't it primed for this to explode, for a massive split in the Conservative Party, in the wake of an absolute hiding after the next election? The elite's thinking, right, it's going to be the next step of our agenda. Right, let's get rid of diesel and petrol cars. Let's restrict people's ability to travel overseas. All of these things, we're going to need some opposition to that. It is that simple when you think about it. The architects of the horrors to come are completely conscious of the fact they need to present an opposition to what it is they plan to do. And I think Beth Rigby unwittingly hit on what's going on. This is what we've seen around Europe. It's what we've seen in the United States. It's what we've seen in Central and Southern America. They plan those people in, you know, the shadows who are manoeuvring the chess pieces around. They want to set fire to the world. That's what they're planning to do. On one side, the conservative populists styling themselves as anti-elite. On the other side, the anti-racist, the anti-fascist, the anti-discrimination people set fire to the world, set them against one another. It'll become increasingly vitriolic, increasingly inflammatory. It'll become increasingly violent on the streets, which is what they'll want while they carry on, thank you very much, with the agendas we've discussed a million times on this programme. That is how I see this, this, this uh, popular conservatism with some popular conservatives aligning themselves with it, knowing full well what's going to happen after the next election. What do you think? You can reach out to me via the website, richieallen.co.uk. You can also download the app and send an instant message to the studio. I'd love to hear from you today. If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract piperine, to substantially increase its bioavailability, and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse and you want relief, go to NutraHealth365.com and see how our Joint Health Supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's NutraHealth365.com with free two-day track delivery. The Richie Allen Show is the world's most popular independent news radio show. Listen on demand via your regular podcast provider. It is so simple, isn't it? I know it sounds a bit too simple to be true, but this is how they operate. 
And we've seen it time and time again. There's quite a bit of comment coming in on this. And surprisingly, a lot of you agreeing with my take on the 90s and noughties. And, and those of you who are old enough to remember the many excellent programmes, Newry and, and Jeff Rents and Infowars back in the day and the amazing Maria Heller show, which I listened to in the noughties, in the early to mid-noughties myself. She was the first podcast on the internet. And this stuff was pretty much left alone to grow by itself. And there were many of them right around. Many of them were very professionally produced, by the way. Something which I reckon is pretty sadly lacking in today's independent media, which is a big swamp now with millions and millions of content creators um, putting themselves at the centre of the story. But that's for another day, right? And I think um, the apathy was turning into grim determination amongst many people that we can't go on living like this. And I believe that grassroots organisations were springing up. Now, they eventually became co-opted and they eventually became infiltrated. I'm thinking about the Occupy movements. I know I'm courting controversy here. I know, I know. Listen, I don't think I know everything. I know that some of you think the Occupy movements were one big massive psyop from the start, and I respect you for thinking that. I'm not sure. I think they may have been genuine movements at the outset, but then became co-opted and infiltrated. But my point is, those movements came out of the internet and free speech and the dissemination of information, which is heavily curtailed now and heavily censored. But back then, it wasn't. They didn't have all their ducks in a row. The whatever you want to call them. I'm just going to keep saying hidden hand. I don't like saying globalists and all of that. I just don't like saying that. So whatever is manoeuvring the chess pieces. And they panicked and they gave us Donald Trump. Trump was the most genius move. There's the thing, I'm not proud of it because I don't believe in pride. But I saw it from the outset. From the minute the guy announced he was running, I could see what was going on. Not least because of the visceral reaction to Trump from his enemies, but then also from those who supported him. And that's how they're going to play this as they push for their the introduction of their central bank digital currencies, which are coming really soon. And I'm going to do a story for you now in a minute, and you'll see where this is going, right? You're probably aware there's some pretty sizable news out of the European Union today around climate change. We'll do that in a minute. But I do want to read some of your comments. I'll tell you what I'll do, because I'm rapidly already running out of time. I've, I've ranted on there, and Tony Gosling will be with me in about 20 minutes' time. Let me take a tune while I can have some water. I'll come back, I'll read your comments. And then I want to talk about climate change. And maybe we can, we can say that we can see some sense of urgency here on the part of uh, the architects of the agendas. Let's have some music from ACDC then. I've been listening to books lately. I don't, I'm not, I'm not endorsing listening to books. I much prefer to read a book, right? And I will always prefer to read a book and hold a book in my hand. But I've stopped listening to music while I've been out running and I've stopped listening to the radio. And what I've been doing is listening to autobiographies. One of those I listened to most recently was Brian Johnson's. And it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. This is ACDC, You Shook Me All Night Long on The Richie Allen Show. Welcome to it. 
ACDC, you shook me all night long. It's uh, the Richie Allen Show, of course it is. Broadcasting live from BBG Towers in the heart of Salford. Uh, thanks to Mike and Hull. Hi, Mike. Richie, I guess Harry isn't bothered too much about his CO2 footprint if he's flown in. Could it be because he knows it's a load of old bollocks and a means of controlling and scaring common folk? Mike, it's a good shout, but it could also be that he's a bit worried about his daddy. Could be. Very confused man, I would imagine, because I know nothing about Harry. But because of the things that went on in his life, because of, because of his experiences, at least the ones we know about, the death of his mother, maybe his suspicion, is that the institution, the institution, the establishment may have been involved in his mother's death, maybe. I'd imagine he's a confused young man. And if daddy rings him up and says, I've got cancer and it's, you know, it might be a serious one. He's, he's obviously going to fly in, but I'm not dismissing your, your, your message, Mike. Lewis says we've only got their word that he has cancer. The royal family is at an all-time low due to Andrew. Uh, this might be a massive PR stunt to get the sheep waving the flag again, says Lewis. Thank you, Lewis. Hello to Ian, who says it might be flawed logic, but I believe that being on the edge of war with Russia... If Prince Charles or King Charles did have cancer, they'd keep it quiet to avoid perceived weakness. But then again, the war may well be a sham too. Who knows what's going on, says Ian. That's how I feel most of the time, Ian. I do mean that. Uh, Don says, I think Charlie is going for the sympathy vote because he knows how unpopular he is. Thank you for that. Hello to Chris, who says, MAGA fans wet dream his presidential address from the prison cell preferably Alcatraz says Chris. Les says hello Les. Cannot remember who said it but I'm sure someone on this programme said last year that Charles wouldn't last as king past 2026. Well some of my closest pals and I don't say this now to be politically correct but people who have uh, more experience than me and certainly more intelligent people than me they um, do, do not believe and didn't believe that Charles would be long for the gig. Maybe, maybe that's the case. Do you sense an abdication, maybe? And young William will come in. Young William and Kate might be the face of the climate change. You know, he's been very vocal, has uh, the air on climate change, as has his wife in, in recent years. I don't know. Every egg will be in the climate change basket for the next two to three years. I'm convinced of it. It's going to be on steroids. Um, hi to Kay, who says, does he have cancer? No idea. If he does, it's very surprising, given his diet and lifestyle. The timing might be suspect, she says. We've been primed recently to consider getting cancer is almost inevitable. So the hidden message might be, if Charles can get it, then of course we plebs shouldn't be surprised when we get it. The jabs, of course, have nothing to do with the increase in cases of cancer in the general population. I think Kay is being sarcastic. Thank you, Kay. Hello to Gals, who says, Nations are just corporations. The people are slaves to the legal system. Common law and anarchy is the only way forward. Thanks, Gaz. I'm nearly with you. Common law is not worth a hat of crabs. Do you like that? It's a very old Irish saying. Not worth, not worth a hat of crabs. In my opinion, Gaz, try common law when you're in front of a magistrate. Waste of time. But I hear you. On the anarchy thing, I would say non-violent civil disobedience. If enough people sit down, fold their arms and say enough is e feck enough. 
That will be the end of it. Uh, thank you, Davy, uh, who says, was Andrew Bridgen not invited to Liz Truss's popular conservatism? Or is the jabs and the large rise in death not to their concerns? Good question, Davy. Liz Truss professes to be against the elites. The elites and the system. And she professes to be some sort of a guardian of free speech. Her new group. But not a word about the biggest elephant in the room. Or the biggest elephant in the country. And that is the COVID vaccine. Not really vaccines, but... but gene therapy injections is the damage they've been doing. Hello to Bry, who says he doesn't believe Charlie is ill, but uh, he might receive an RNA wonder vax and homeopathy is branded witchcraft. Not sure about that, you might be right. Lots of these coming in. Nelly says, I think our government's try things on humanity. For example, a few years ago, they were trying to pilot a scheme of ID cards in Manchester. Most people knew about the threat of ID cards and the pilot was a flop. As they try lots of things and fail, but never talk about it. So we forget, says Nelly. Okay, I'm going to leave the messages there, even though there are many more to read out. Because I want to talk about this for a moment. Um, climate change. Let's have a listen to BBC News 24 this afternoon. This is important. Listen carefully to the anchor. No W. The anchor. Listen. The European Commission is expected to propose some pretty ambitious new targets for climate change later today. It's aiming to slash greenhouse gas emissions by 90% compared to the levels of 1990. It says it wants to do that by the year 2040. Now, the proposals will be debated in the European Parliament today. And if they're agreed, the Commission hopes it could become a legally binding target in June after EU elections. Wow. So we want to reduce emissions by 90% in the Eurozone compared to where emissions were in 1990. And we want to achieve this by 2040, okay? He interviews a woman called Eliza Ginelli. She is a she represents a climate change think tank called E3G. What does she say? Let's have a listen. 90% is clearly an ambitious number and will require effort from all economic sectors. Just think about that. 90% to reduce CO2 emissions in every Eurozone country by 90% compared to what it was in 1990. She says it's ambitious. But wait till you hear what she says next. At the same time, it is in line with existing EU European policies, if well implemented, um, which the Commission analyses expect to lead to about 88% reduction by 2040. It is also in line with uh, advice by the European Scientific Advisory Board on Climate Change. The European Scientific Advisory Board on Climate Change, which? Which operates in a similar way as the Climate Change Committee in the UK. Um, who recommends the European Union to actually reduce the emissions by 90 to 95 percent by 2040, grounded on science-based assessment and addressing both fairness and feasibility. 95 percent by 2040. Now, 2040 is 16 years away, which is no time at all, really. I'm asking you, what do you think they'll do? I mean, use your imagination. Your imagination is just as vivid as mine. What sort of policies do you think they will introduce in order to reach the target of reducing CO2 emissions by 95%? I can't even say it without laughing. By 2040. 
while you're thinking about it. I must also mention that the Telegraph newspaper this afternoon is reporting that the European Union has seemingly caved in to the French and the Spanish and the German and the Dutch farmers. Seemingly caved in. And the EU has cut a target to slash agricultural emissions as part of the bloc's net zero drive. This sounds positive, but I wouldn't get too excited. A demand to reduce nitrogen, methane and other emissions linked to farming by almost a third has been removed from a wider Brussels plan to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 90% by 2040. So the Telegraph is saying the farmers have won a significant round in this fight against the European Union or they've landed a significant blow because today the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen proposed withdrawing the EU's plan to halve the use of pesticides, saying this is a symbol of polarisation. Our farmers deserve to be listened to, she told the European Parliament today. She said, I know they worry about the future of agriculture and their future as farmers, but they also know that agriculture needs to move to a more sustainable model of production so that their farms remain profitable in the years to come. Right. That sounds positive, but I wouldn't get too excited about it. There are more than there is more than one way to skin a cat, and if you're a cat lover or a vegan, apologies for using the ancient um, phrase phraseology, the ancient phrasing. What, what what are you going to call it? the ancient saying? There is more than one way to skin a cat, and they, there there are more, or there is more than one way. There are more ways than one. <laughs> right, I'll get there in the end. And um, to to end farming as we know it. There are other ways of doing it. They don't have to do it just by compelling farmers to use less fertiliser, compelling them to, to make some of their land fallow, you know, to leave it unfarmed, to let it grow wild. You, you, can, you can seemingly cave into the farmers, but there are other ways of getting at them and making farming unsustainable until more and more of them give up. Lots of ways you can do that. You know, not least, you can flood the markets, as they do anyway, with cheaper produce from elsewhere. So I wouldn't get too excited about this seeming victory for farmers. They're going after agriculture. You know, they, they have been ever since the introduction of the Common Agricultural Policy, something I've bitched about for years on this programme. So that's where they're going. Think hard. How will they reduce CO2 emissions? Remember, they're factoring every sector into it. Everything. Everything we do. How do you reduce CO2 emissions by 95%? I'm going to tell you right now, first things first, transport, private transport, car ownership, vehicle ownership, motorbike ownership will have to be eliminated, won't it? And I'm not scaremongering, I've never done the scaremongering thing in my entire life, in my career as a presenter will have to be completely eliminated. Hence the news about free public transport popping up all over Europe. Free public transport. I remember the first time I read the story, I thought, well, that's an interesting scheme. Thinking that it was a scheme, you know, that it was finite. Yeah, we'll, we'll give people free travel. No, no, in some parts of Europe now, it's permanent. If you live in certain cities, you'll never have to pay to use a bus or a tram again. Now, in the future, in the future, you might be presented sorry, you might be prevented from boarding a tram or a bus if you haven't been a very good citizen and your social credit score isn't up to scratch. And I definitely believe that, right? But if you're a good citizen, you'll be able to travel freely 
in your 15-minute city, in your 15-minute zone, on public transport, so long as you accept, for the greater good, you can't own a car. So they're going to have to eliminate private vehicle ownership. They'll have to. I mean, they've already committed to ending the production of diesel and petrol cars by the end of the decade or by 2035. You'll remember that that Rishi Sunak, the current Prime Minister, he said, well, we'll push this back by five years. Originally, it was meant to be 2030. Only problem with this is Rishi Sunak will not be Prime Minister by Christmas. No doubt about that, probably sooner. Sunak will be out, sorry, yes, Sunak will be out and Starmer will be in. And then it'll be 2030. Flying is going to be out too. Virtually all travel is going to be um, eliminated, I reckon, by the mid part of the 2030s. Don't laugh. Laugh if you want. I mean it. I mean it. Travelling within your own country will be rationed, I reckon, in the future. Will be possible, you know, taking public transport getting out to the seasides and what have you. But travelling overseas is going to be right out. Virtual travel will be all the rage. Think Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall, a film, if memory serves, made by Paul Verhoeven. I think the guy who made Basic Instinct made Total Recall. If I haven't, and I've made a prat of myself again, put it down to early onset dementia, right? Total Recall's an amazing film. Talk about predictive programming. You will have a chip implanted in your head. Elon Musk will probably design it. And it will take you to the Seychelles without you ever stepping outside your door. And the most remarkable thing about it will be, of course, that to all intents and purposes, for you, it'll feel, it'll be a completely immersive, a total sensory experience. You'll believe you are there when the information is sent to your brain. And when it's over, you'll believe you were there. The essence of Total Recall. Recall, recall, recall. Remember that? Remember the ad for that? I think the ad in the film might even have mentioned climate change. Maybe it didn't now. Maybe it didn't. But it talked about the horrors of travelling, didn't it? Didn't it talk about the horrors of travelling? You know, the airport queues, the lost luggage, the screaming children, all of that shit. You don't need that shit. Go to Total Recall and you'll believe that you went to the Seychelles and had sex with whomever your favourite celebrity from the 1970s was. Lindsay Wagner from The Bionic Woman, she'll be dead. It won't be living celebrities, it'll be celebrities from the 1950s and 60s. Marilyn Monroe. Spend a fortnight on the Seychelles with Diana Rigg from The Avengers. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'll have that fucking chip straight away. Unbelievable, right? But believable at the same time. Farmers are fighting back, though. They're telling us. Again, I don't mean to be a doom monger, but I'm not going to get too excited about the farmers fighting back, much as I admire their moxie. I mean, if we believe Professor Lucy and Gill, who came on this programme last week, what the farmers want is ultimately devastating anyway, because they want more and more and more fertilisers, which is not very good for the soil and leads to abiotic stress. Soil conditions which only grow seeds which are manufactured by Monsanto and other such companies. It is two and one half minutes to the top of the hour. Let me read some more of your comments. Jesus, you're doing it to me today. Thank you. Hi to Rob in Birmingham. I think you could be spot on, Richie, says Rob. But I could also be full of shit, Rob, you know. I've been known to be. 
John says, Richie, it's credible as long as people are passionately engaged in the right-left paradigm as they are too busy to look straight through it. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jana London the other night because Jana gets it, I think. She gets the paradox. While we are absolutely right to be worried about the things that are being inflicted upon children, the emotional damage inflicted on children in schools, in primary schools, in secondary schools, it's also a paradox because (laughs) that aspect of the culture wars is just another way of dividing people along identity lines to get them tearing each other's throats out so that the agenda can just proceed along smoothly. Thank you very much. That's right, Jan. You get it too. It is so successful. But it's important, as Jan has said to me the other evening, while on the one hand, it is a complete tool of distraction, the fact is it has real consequences for the people affected by it. Namely, children being screwed up with ideas that they can be one of a hundred genders and all the other things we talk about on the programme. Carl is in Leicester. Hi, Carl. Thanks for your nice comment, pal. I appreciate that. Wiz says, Richie, if you believe Trump was given to the people, then do you also believe that Brexit was given to the people? Yeah, of course. Of course I'm willing to consider that. Absolutely, it could be part. I don't know is the answer to that. You know, I, I knew and I know that um, supranational organisations, um, trading blocks like the European Union, are the enemy of ordinary men and women. And, and that no country should be signed up to um, the European Union or any other union. Governments should do what is in the best interests of the people of that country. However, Wiz, I, of course I couldn't see the whole thing might have been one big charade. Absolutely, man. I'd be the biggest hypocrite of all time if I said no. Yes, it's well possible. Who knows, mate? Hi to Tristan, Richie. Charles is old enough where cancer isn't that big of a stretch. I'm not sure why it's so hard for some to believe. Thank you, uh, Tristan. Uh, right, I'm going to take more music. When I come back, uh, Tony Gosling should very well be on standby. He'll have some interesting things to say about the uh, the monarch in this country. We'll also talk about a crazy spy story. And maybe Tony will have some thoughts on what we were discussing in the first hour. It is Tuesday's programme, February 6th. It is 2024. Can you believe it? Uh, it was nice, by the way, to see today that the Michael J. Fox documentary, which I think was made by Apple Television. Did you see it, by the way? It's a beautiful film. It really is beautiful. I think it's up for an Oscar, is it? It's certainly up for some prestigious award. He was given, he gave an interview to the BBC earlier and I watched it and it was absolutely lovely. I'm a big fan of Michael J. Fox. What a trooper he is. Right, a minute past five then. Music from Def Leppard and Pour Some Sugar On Me. This is the Richie Allen Show. The time is coming up for six minutes past the hour. I'm Richie Allen. Let's welcome back for the first time in 2024 a very old friend of the programmes and mine. As I mentioned already, the host of the Not The BCFM Politics Show out of Bristol. Please check it out. Author, author, it's important to mention that, is my pal Tony Gosling. Welcome back, Tony. How are you doing? And a very belated Uh, Happy New Year to you. uh, 
Well, thank you. Um, yes, so I'm doing fine. I don't have cancer, as far as I know. Good man. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much sort of rolling around. I, I'm particularly frustrated about the lack of coverage of the uh, the sociology professor. We have as a guest quite a bit. He, he started something called Spinwatch, which is a website, and Sourcewatch, which looks at the financial interests of these so-called experts that we're getting, you know, the Chattermouse people, et cetera, up on the BBC the whole time, and, the you know, where they're getting their money through the arms trade. And he's just won his case yesterday uh, for uh, um, unfair dismissal. David Miller. David Miller. I've been, right, talk David I've Miller been talking for... about it. Yeah, I've been discussing it on my papers podcast what a what a great um, bit of news that is just remind our listeners he some jewish students got very annoyed with him because i think he claimed that zionism or conservative or ultra right-wing zionism i think he said is one of the pillars of islamophobia i think he said something like this and jewish students sought to have him fired and they succeeded until now well that's i mean along okay so what he was saying was uh, in a nutshell that the Jewish groups that had been lobbying to get him fired at Bristol University were funded by the Israeli state. Uh, and he'd done all the due diligence to prove that that was true. Uh, and that was considered to be anti-Semitic. So, uh, and, and there was quite an entertaining section in the tribunal, which we're quite at liberty to talk about now there's been a, a judgment. Um, in fact, I think you can kind of talk about it anyway, because there's no jury. It's just uh, a judge makes the decision. And was this exchange between this uh, top person from Bristol University who uh, David Miller's lawyer um, said, well, you know, what if there was an Anglo-Saxon uh, movement which expelled anyone who wasn't Anglo-Saxon to Cornwall? <laughs> uh, and anybody that wasn't didn't go to Cornwall wasn't allowed to have a job. Would you say that was racist? Uh, and and she she said obviously yes. And then the, then the um, uh, the lawyer said, well, if uh, if someone was to be, uh, it would it be a good idea for a professor to say it was racist? Uh, if if you know, this is just this complete conjecture. It was a thought experiment. Uh, would, would it be okay for a professor to say it was racist? And she said no. So she was totally contradicting herself in a very comic fashion, in fact. And and I think it's largely because David is possibly the uh, top sociologist on the planet. We're very lucky to have him in Bristol. And, um, and, and the fact that he had such excellent lawyers that he's – and the only question now is what kind of whacking great compensation is he going to get for damage to his reputation – uh, and for the wages that he's lost. Yeah, the University, of the University of Bristol has said it's looking at its options. It isn't happy. The Union <laughs> of Jewish Students are not happy either. Can I ask you, there's a wider issue at play here. And again, I'm not claiming that I was a model university student during my times because I went twice. <laughs> but Me neither. Yeah, and you neither. But I know you went to uni too. It doesn't make us clever, but we went to uni. What has happened to students over the years whereby where at one time we couldn't wait to get one of our lecturers into a theatre after uni, where maybe there was a few points involved and you could really get stuck into their thought processes and their ideologies. Yeah. How did it go from there, Tony, to let's get a man sacked and let's get him destroyed? What's happened? Well, it's a really good question. Actually, I did a Bradford University degree, humanities degree, but I didn't actually go to university. I went to a teacher training college to do that. It wasn't a teaching degree. 
uh, Ilkley in Yorkshire. It was a fantastic place to study, but it was a completely different world to now. I mean, we had the most brilliant, we, we, you know, our lecturers were our friends and, you know, they, we got on very well with them generally. Okay, we weren't too pally, but uh, we would certainly be uh, chit-chatting in the student union bar with them at, at lunchtime and having a bite to eat. Uh, and also uh, they they were a little, there was a little bit of a maverick side to them in that they saw themselves as absolutely their own people. I think the big change, which you were referring to, is this political correctness, which has swamped the entire system. I mean, that's, I think, driven really by the kind of mercantile business ethic, which is now inculcated our universities. Back, I mean, back in the 1980s, when I was studying, the, it, it, it was all state funded. I mean, the whole thing was, uh, you know, for example, I got a, I got a state grant, you know, from the local council uh, to, to go for for three years. In fact, it was four years eventually. But, um, you know, th th it was a completely different world. Now, these universities, I mean, for example, we had the scandal, was it, I think, last weekend in the Sunday Times, where they, they proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that it's actually much more difficult for uh, British students to get into British universities than it is for foreign folks. So what they've done is they've lowered the bar, the academic bar, right down almost to zero to get these foreign students in because they're really just after the money they're the paying money. fees. Yeah, that's right. So they're excluding, effectively excluding uh, homegrown young talent. And uh, I mean, the, of course, the same is true in many industries where jobs nowadays are actually advertised abroad. They're, they're in, and if somebody happens to see one of those jobs or apply for one of them from Britain, it's actually quite rare because these jobs are just not advertised to British people. Right. And this is all an attempt an attempt to drive down wages and also to create this kind of uh, culture war in a way, you know, driving the kind of Tommy Robinson race war agenda. So I think there's a lot of sides to all of this and we have to be just be very careful we don't mix up, you know, the the co correct aspirations of foreigners to come to this country and work and send money back and maybe even stay here. Of course, they want to better themselves. Uh, but, but uh, you know, the, the, the Katie Hopkins and the Tommy Robinsons of this world want to turn that into a kind of racist agenda and get working people fighting each other right across the country in our cities. And, and I, I just don't think, I mean, I hope anyway that's not going to happen because, I mean, there is the potential for that, which they seem to be driving at. What about those who say... Go easy on Tommy Robinson now. For many for many years when when Robinson was being accused of racism and bigotry and and everything else, xenophobia, he was banging the drum in his own town in Luton and elsewhere that there was a problem with some young Pakistani men, with some, and that they they had a tendency culturally to denigrate young, maybe, you know, British girls who, who, who were in difficult circumstances and exploit them. And whatever else anybody might think about Tommy Robinson, and the fact is he was saying these things. I'm not saying this myself, but this is what his supporters would say. And people like you, uh, Tony, and others should at least acknowledge this when you're bashing him. What do you say? Well, I, I think he's actually MI5. He's a Zionist. Uh, when when he's when I see him speak, you know he's he. When I see him speak, I just think, look, this guy's just trying to fuel fan the flames of racism. He's not looking, it seems to me, at all at the structural um, motivation behind all this within the British, you know, oligarchy, 
which is the really really is the root of the problem he's seeing the symptoms as the root of the problem which is individuals and when you're talking about these grooming gangs I mean, you know, it was, I think, it wasn't it uh, Rotherham, I believe? It was absolutely shown beyond any shadow of a doubt that the police had deliberately been allowing uh, Pakistani and Asian males to, to do this, whereas they had actually been stopping uh, Brits from doing it. And, of course, we know that these kinds of gangs have gone back many, you know, many years in Britain. And, that, you know, there was a quite a good, um, you know, the police would, you know, when these things reared their ugly head, generally speaking, the police would deal with them. But there was this impetus from the top this is from the national police chiefs council not to uh, to deal with and not to actually impose the law on these uh, migrants um because it was seen as racist and i think this happens a lot with the police so i don't know if you've noticed but quite often when there is some sort of an attack uh whether it's a knife attack a gun attack sometimes i mean you know we've had a horrific killing in bristol over the last week or so yeah uh, and there is a, a, an enormous amount of sensitivity by the police in in talking about the ethnicity of the person behind it. So you often find there's no photo fit. You know, you often find there's no description of the person they're looking for. Do you agree with this, Tony? Do you agree with that? The police holding well, back their identity? Not. No, of course not. Of yeah. course not. No, they you know they should be they should be giving a full description, whatever the race, creed, or colour. But they do understand. That this kind of thing can fuel the Tommy Robinson racist agenda, and you know, to fuel, can fuel these kind of, uh, you know, street hatred against a different race, and and I think that's you know that's that's why they do it. I'm not saying it's right, yeah. and in fact, I think it's totally wrong, and it's ill-advised. And you know what? I think it actually does the opposite. Has the opposite effect. If people see this is going on in their local area, and the police aren't telling them anything about the race and the description of the person that's behind it. And then they later find out that it that it is an ethnic minority. Actually, what they get is they get anger against the police and anger against that minority because the, the police haven't simply haven't been doing their job properly. I think you are bang uh, on. I think you are bang on when you say that Robinson doesn't understand what's going on. That it is a symptom of a wider agenda, but it doesn't mean that he's not genuine. I mean, I've said for years, and I, I know I'm playing devil's advocate here because I've never been his biggest fan. I did interview him years ago. It didn't go that well, but it doesn't matter. But, you know, he, he, he might say, he might say, you're right, Tony, these issues with some um, Asian gangs were around for a long time. But he might say to you, Tommy Robinson might say, well, hang on, Tony, that might have been the case. But the media was ignoring this um, to the point of, it was ignoring it to the point of it, of the media itself becoming a, an obstruction to justice. I found out it was going on and I did what any decent person should do. I spoke about it a lot and I got called racist for it. He might say that in his defence. Well, yeah, but I mean, he is racist. Let's just be clear. The way he speaks is a racist. It's against, particularly, he's very anti-Muslim. He's very much involved, obviously, in the English Defence League, which was this kind of, uh, well, it was a, a Knights Templar uh, group that started that, along with Tommy. And these people are there to try and start race wars. And in every, pretty much every speech he does, everything, you can see he, he blames everything on Muslims. He blames everything, you know, he, he, he's, it would be no no guessing about which side he's on uh, with the whole Gaza business. And he'd be support, he will be supporting the Israelis, no doubt. He's, he's always done that. And he's been going out with the pro-Zionist rallies, with the uh, Israeli flags. So, you know, I think he's, you know, he's, uh, yeah, I don't want to get too dragged. No, no, me neither. Let's forget about him. On the pro-Zionist thing, not about Tommy Robinson, there are a lot of people I know, 
and I've met over the years, I'm not talking about him, forget him now, but there are people who, I can't get my head around it, but they do take the side of Israel and have done traditionally. And they're not all raging shills. There are a lot of people no. who genuinely believe that Israel is the home of uh, of of Jews. It's the you know it's it's the legitimate place of Israelis to be there. And and I I encountered these. Some of these people are are people I know very very well. Uh, and and though it surprises me, because to me it's self evident if you know your history how it came to be the illegal treaties which gave rise to Israel the Nakba. I can't understand how anybody could support Israel. But there are people who genuinely do. Can I ask you before we talk about the spy in the bag because we need to laugh, Tony. But so before we do that, and thanks for the info you sent me on this, by the way, because I wasn't following it that closely, but I should have been. Tony Gosling is our guest. What do you make of Douglas Murray? Is he just a shill for likes and clicks and for media interviews and attention? Or is Murray deeply committed to to the Zionist cause? Does he believe in it intrinsically, do you think? Well, I've no idea who Douglas Murray is, I'm afraid. Do you not? He's this uh, journalist, this London-based journalist, um, who spent weeks and weeks in Gaza. And he's, um, I think he's been with The Spectator as well um, over the yeah. years. And he's been screaming um, pro-Zionist stuff on talk TV uh, particularly yeah. and bending okay. truths and all of this. And I just, I just uh, wonder I get, what you thought I of the picture. So yeah. this guy, uh, I mean, that's for a start, Nail Talk TV. This is owned by Rupert Murdoch yes. it's when he lost his major share his, his majority share in Sky TV he decided to set up Talk TV of course he's also got Times Radio too he's you know he wants to make sure he's got um, you know broadcast he's still doing he's got a broadcasting network in the UK but but he and Jacob Rothschild uh, around about 2010 it was I think were granted by the Israelis this oil concession in the Golan Heights which is his uh, Murdoch's company uh, is Genie Energy. And so, I mean, he's massively, massively invested in the Israeli state, Murdoch is. And if you listen to it, you can hear that coming out of every single voice that's on there. I mean, he does allow, you know, alternative voices, etc., to phone in, that's fine. But all of the people, basically the whole of the Times, the Sun, the Talk TV empire is pro-Israeli. Now, what one thing I'd just like to you know sort of clarify is that you've now got this bizarre situation where there is around about twenty percent of Israeli Jews are actually anti-racist. They're traditional left-wing, sort of almost like you would describe them as Corbynistas here. So it's not by any means a majority, not even a quarter, really. But but there's a lot of them out there, and those. I mean, are we saying that that uh, if 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 we're if we're campaigning now against Zionism and seeing what's happening in Gaza as Zionism, are we saying that these Jews should should leave? Are yeah. we saying that all the Jews that came to Palestine over the last eighty years should 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 leave? I mean, surely that's just going to create another hellhole. So. I think we've got to be quite careful about about using this term Zionism to describe them, because many of the, I mean, the people who are campaigning out on the streets to get rid of Netanyahu, um, Richie, they're, they're Zionists, you know. So you, what we're starting to do is lumping all of the opposition against Netanyahu and the vehement anti-racists who are, you know, are really doing everything they can within the country to help the Palestinians, protect the Palestinians, etc. And they're, you know, it's a sizable minority. Uh, so we shouldn't be lumping them all in together. The real problem here is this far-right Greater Israel bloc, which is, you know, Ben Gavir and Netanyahu. They've all got together now. And in fact, they, you know, Netanyahu should be in prison. 
And so we've got a really, really dangerous situation with this nuclear armed, almost like a kind of doomsday cult running the country. Now, many Jews who live over there can see this too, and they're trying to put a stop to it. So just to lump all the Zionists together and sort of assume that anyone that's kind of uh, believes that Jews should be allowed to stay there is wrong. I think it's, 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 you know, it's a dangerous kind of, and what they're doing, of course, you're isolating those uh, anti-racist Jews in Israel. You're saying, well, actually, we just class you as Zionists and, you know, we haven't really thought that, that we haven't really thought about you existing. So we, we, we're lumping you all in with these, uh, you know, crazy, crazy racists and the, you know, the genos- genocidalists who are trying to keep Netanyahu out of jail. Very good argument. That. Tony Gosling is our guest at thisweek.org.uk, Bilderberg.org. I will put links to Tony's books, of course, on the podcast notes. I always do. I always will. Uh, old and valued pal of mine. I mean that, by the way. It's great to have you back on. It's been a while, too. Tell me this. I laughed out loud um, because I followed it when we first heard about it briefly, and then I'd forgotten all about it. So there has been a review into the death of Gareth Williams. Gareth was working for MI6. He was found dead at his home in August 2010, and the nature of his death, well, it was strange. His body uh, was naked and decomposing, padlocked inside a bag in his bathtub. London police have said this week, in fact yesterday, that um, the inquiry or the review into his death is over. Over. They called the conspiracy theory surrounding Mr. Williams' death, they said they were weird and wonderful. And although a coroner concluded that Williams was probably killed unlawfully by another person, the police investigation found he died accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the biggest, the biggest conspiracy theory here is from, is from DAC Martin Hewitt. I mean, he's a Metropolitan Police senior uh, one of the leadership team, assistant commissioner, uh, he said no one else was involved. Yeah. Well, you know, and he said that again recently. So he's uh, com- talking complete and utter baloney. I mean, it really is like, uh, you know, you need a Sherlock Holmes on this one because yeah. Professor Plod of the Yard is getting nowhere. Uh, now, this all this happened in August 2010, uh, not long after the new, you know, the coalition government had come in. And this chap, Gareth, was working for GCHQ, but he'd been seconded. Oh, you know, he probably wishes he hadn't, to MI6, the CIA, and the National Security Agency. So he'd been working very closely with the Americans. And um, the it came out in 2015, uh, actually, you know, not long after, that uh, he had done this job just before he died as a favour for a friend to dig out a list of, of the uh, party guests, a, a party that, uh, that Bill Clinton had attended, the former US president. Now... You know, this could be innocuous or just a party, you know. But then what about the whole relationship between Jeffrey Epstein, yes. Ghislaine Maxwell and Bill Clinton, who we know is one of those people on the uh, on the flights on the Lolita Express and went to the island, etc. So this I mean, I, I'm looking at this thinking, well, it's, it's pure speculation. It's a very good, I think, uh, guesstimate, uh, uh, conspiracy theory, if you want is that maybe this is a, a guest list at one of Epstein's parties. And, uh, and of course, the United States, the, the National Security Agency, and the Mossad, who Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell was most definitely, and, and her father had been working, Robert Maxwell, with, uh, may have just decided, right, well, this, is, uh, this, this little boy is, um, uh, this little British boy who's come over to work with the US intelligence for a while, uh, and then he's, he's pinching little bits of information about Bill Clinton, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, and at the time, I think I might be right in saying that there were already rumours about Epstein, uh, 
the the um, this this is a very good reason, I think, to send a very clear message to the Brits that if you're, we're going to have your boys uh, working over here, uh, you're not going to be digging out information about uh, these uh, these uh, blackmail rings that Mossad are running to get all these rich and powerful people compromised and blackmail them. So that may be what what's behind it potentially. I mean, that was the favour for a friend. Are you there, T? Probably shouldn't have done it, you know. But yeah. uh, the idea of... Huh? No, no, sorry. Yeah, you, so, you, you, you dropped out, but only for two seconds. We didn't miss anything. Yeah, so... It's so bizarre, uh, bizarre story. So that, I mean, I think is, you know, for me, it's the it's it's not the conspiracy theory. It is is what, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes or somebody with a little bit more now, an understanding of why it might be that, uh, you know, that a, a British GCHQ officer might uh you know be seconded to the us or to uh, maybe working with the mossad who knows but but uh then do something which uh you know annoyed his betters and of course you know the, the brits are absolute poodles in this whole five eyes business which really of course is six eyes uh because the, the this is it's amazing isn't it they oh we're going to be really open we'll tell you about our five eyes organization which has got the, the 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 British, the Americans, the Canadians, the Australians, and the New Zealanders. What they don't tell you is actually one of the major partners in this is the Mossad. It's really six eyes, uh, you know. So so yeah, that's that's the one thing that people may not get from it is if they're thinking that this is to do with those that intelligence network, they haven't thought about the Mossad, they haven't thought about the Israeli connection, they haven't thought about Epstein. So that could be, you know, that's I think a pretty reasonable bit of conjecture, and it's certainly a line of inquiry the police should have taken. But they haven't. They said, oh, he just locked himself in the bag. Padlocked himself from the inside. He padlocked himself into a bag and decomposed and died. I don't know if you saw it, but they even got a yoga expert to try and do it and an escapologist. <laughs> And they couldn't. So I was going to. I think. Uh, yeah. I think we should retire DAC Martin Hewitt right away. He's, he's absolutely hopeless. Well, Clueso-esque comes to mind. Clueso-esque. Tony Gosling well, is. Yeah, and also yeah. let's also understand these people. Remember, this is this is very important to understand. The way the police work is the intelligence services tell them what to do, what they can investigate, what they can't investigate. So if there is some sort of NSA. Uh, uh, Mossad involvement in this guy's killing. The police will simply be told, just keep your hands out of way, but make sure you find nothing. You can call me naive. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Call me naive if yeah. you like. Where's the proof that the intelligence agencies have control over what the police does and doesn't investigate? Well, another example is uh, this Valdo Calacane uh, a couple of weeks ago. The guy who was convicted of killing these three people in Nottingham. Uh, to a, a couple out after a, an evening of student celebrations and the other guy was a caretaker. This guy was a complete maniac. Uh, he said that uh, voices in his head were telling him to kill everybody and so he was just walking around trying to kill as many people as he could with a bag full of knives. Now, I, I looked at that story last week and one of the most incredible little bits of it is a whole article in The Guardian about it and there was a little pop on the ITV news where he actually travelled from Nottingham all the way down to London to go to Thames House to MI5 and begged them. That's the words of the uh, the lady that gave this testimony uh, in the in the um, trial uh, to arrest him. He was saying, look, you know, you're controlling me through voices in my head. Please just arrest me. Get me off the street. I'm dangerous. And uh, and of course, then we had afterwards, we had uh, Assistant Chief Constable Rob Griffin at Nottinghamshire Constabulary saying, and I quote, we could not have done anything to stop this. Well, hang on, 
for nine months you had a warrant out for the guy's arrest he'd assaulted a police officer and you can't even be bothered to go looking for him well i would suggest you're in a similar situation there uh, where it's a kind of, you know, the, the Nottinghamshire cops have got a note, note from the security services saying this is a, national, a matter of national security, hands off. And that's what they have to do. They simply have to do that. They can't investigate if they're being told not to investigate by their uh, wiser and betters at a special branch in MI5. It's plausible, isn't it? Yeah, because national security would supersede everything else. It's plausible if they said, listen, superintendent, Murphy or whatever, leave this alone. We're looking after this. Yeah, it's plausible. Yeah, I knew you were on this, on this story um, in Nottingham. How utterly bizarre that they could ask us to believe that a guy who had assaulted um, Plod effectively um, could be left relatively, you know, unscathed, could be left to kind of wander around Nottingham for nearly a year afterwards. It, it absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. But, you know, do you, you, you have been accused your entire life, as have I, yeah. although you're a, you know, you're a proper researcher, right? And, and that's not to patronise you. You are. Like, they always say, do you know what, Richie? And do you know what, Tony Gosling? You completely overlook always the, they're just fucking stupid. I mean, it does happen. It does happen okay, every so, now and then. Okay, it's so this guy, stupid. Rob Griffin... This guy, Assistant Chief Constable Rob Griffin, in his interviews, was saying, and I'm not sure if he's still got this position because there are loads of, he got a fantastic amount of criticism for it. He actually said, I, I can honestly tell you we could not have done anything. Now, this is a lie. This is a yeah, lie. Not even Chicken Stabulary have got massive amounts of, of uh, resources. Uh, it's just that they decided not to prioritise it, right? So uh, this guy, uh, even though he's assaulted a cop, we're just going to let him go. Now, if you or I were to assault a cop, Richie, do you think they'd just let us go? Not at all. Not at all. Not not right. not, 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 not in a million years, of course. So not. why did they let this go? And why is he lying, saying, I can honestly tell you? Rob Griffin is lying. So, I mean, you know, if he... he this, this is this. He's, he's in charge of uh, Assistant Chief Constable Nottinghamshire Police. He's a liar. You know, another one that we need to retire. We spoke 14 years ago uh, for the first time. We're back to where we started. We're back to the mainstream media, the mainstream media, the mainstream media. Because these are questions, obviously, that you would expect a reasonably competent reporter working for ITN Channel 4 or the BBC to ask. You're quite right. It's untenable that a guy could say we did everything we could when all the evidence is to the contrary. But they don't ask these questions. It's a case of, please disperse, Tony. There's nothing to see here. Let's just move on. That's what they do. Yeah, well, exactly the same as, as with these grooming gangs, actually. There are lots and lots. I mean, I think the uh, the, the total was something like 200, uh, some of them in professionals, like, uh, like uh, teachers, uh, social workers, had reported uh, these the the, um, the one I looked really you know into for a long time, which was the the um, Rotherham gang, uh, to the authorities, uh, and they clearly had a policy of just allowing that crime to continue. And I think this is the way that the police s sort of operate now. They they have certain crimes which they investigate, and certain that they just. I mean, if you if you um, uh, if you have say, for example, a need for some CCTV because someone has uh, assaulted you or stolen something in the city centre somewhere, uh, maybe they've just pinched something out of your purse. Uh, your chance of getting the police to find that CCTV and deliver it or do anything about it is virtually zero. They seem to be more interested in going around to the activists of Palestine Action 
uh, and uh, arresting them for sticking a pin in the door of a MP down in Cornwall for criminal damage. But it's become incredibly politicised policing. And this is uh, it's because it's happened so slowly. Maybe we just haven't noticed it. Let me read some comments. Don't interrupt me now for a minute because you will get your say. While the large body of comments coming into this programme are very supportive of you being on, they always like listening to you. couple want to take you up on your characterization of Islam. So let me read this. Uh, first of all, Faisal is funny. Thank you, Faisal. According to the police, Gareth Williams is an open and shut case. Boom, boom. Thank you, Faisal. Uh, Colin says, help me here. Since when is Islam a race? The problem is Islam, not individual Muslims. Algerian, Pakistani, Somalian, all sorts across Europe are followers of Islam. And many people uh, from those backgrounds are committing the same crimes. Tony is talking bollocks in my opinion on this issue Islam ain't a race um, Muslims, the problem is Islam not individual Muslims says Colin, now of course this will be repeated uh, a lot by people like Tommy whom we mentioned earlier on he will say I've got no problem with Muslims individually but Islam is the problem, what do you say to that when people say it's not a religion of police it is a dangerous ideology what say you? Well, I say get to know. I say get to know some Muslims. You'll find some some of the the kindest, most considerate, caring people you've ever met. In fact, I think both the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. If you're talking about these Abrahamic religions, that are all sort of stem from the um, uh, Old Testament and the Ten Commandments, which actually Rastafarianism does as well. Uh, you'll find, I think, that uh, Islam is some of the truest to its original aims and go uh, goals. And, and that may be deliberate, that, that it hasn't been under attack and infiltrated quite as much as, I mean, just, I mean, what have they done to the Judaism? Basically, what they've done is they've created a fake version of it, which is this Zionist racist thing, which is actually secular in origin. And those Jews in Europe which who wouldn't go over to Israel in the 1930s under this agreement between uh, the Nazis and the Zionists, the Havara Agreement, um, which Edwin Black has written a lot about. Um, the, I think he's from New York. But anyway, uh, so they were just uh, – they were executed. They were exterminated. So this is – this is most of the Jews were in Europe, and most of them – who didn't actually believe in Zionism were just mangled in the mincing machine of Adolf Hitler. So there's something happened to the Jewish faith uh, in, in a, on a massive grand scale there, uh, and it's been, I think, totally well, not entirely, but but almost almost entirely undermined. The same has been happening with Christianity. Look at the Church of England with almost all the bishops. I, I remember this is a, an article in the Times in the 1970s. Even in the 70s, the bishops that don't believe in God. Something, something like uh, only one in five or one in six bishops believing in God. They, the Freemasonry has completely, I think, infiltrated the Church of England, and it's made it, you know, a sort of kind of club that people come along to. And you only can kind of believe anything you like. You don't have to have a particular belief. I'm not saying it's a bad organisation, but then you've got Welby, who's in charge, Archbishop, over in uh, Ukraine, I think he is, or maybe it's Estonia right now, and he's, you know, he's cheerleading. Uh, for the uh, for Zelensky, and now this is this is totally the opposite of what he should be doing. He should be calling for peace. Absolutely. What's he doing? He's totally taking sides in this, and in actually, what is a, is is a totally understandable war, in my view, that the Russians have decided they're not going to have the ethnic Russians ethnically cleansed uh, and the Russian language made illegal. Anyone that speaks Russian in in Ukraine arrested. 
uh, and uh, and and of course those that stood up against that then then got fifteen thousand of the people in the southeast of uh, of Ukraine killed uh, between twenty fourteen and twenty twenty two. Fifteen thousand people killed, shelled. You know, in this. Uh, so this is why the Russians did something. They're having well, we're not going to carry on like this. Thank you very much. And so what is Welby doing, weighing in? You know, as of course King Charles has been doing, weighing in. Talking about uh, the uh, about oh I mean it's uh, he's he, what he's what he said this is three or four years ago now maybe a couple more is that uh, that Vladimir Putin is the new Hitler now he shouldn't be saying things did, like did that. he you say know, that got, did, did, did he actually say yes, that he, he said it look you can go and you know I'm not calling you a lawyer I'm not doing that it's just it's something there. it sounds no, no, very he strong yeah. did. he said yeah. Putin. Putin is the new Hitler. It, that's what Charles said. And another thing he said recently, mm. uh, you know, it, these people obviously don't want peace. Is in, he said it in the in the King's speech? He said that Hamas were a terrorist organisation. Well, you know, that's what Rupert Murdoch says on his channel, but it's not true. Hamas is is a democratically elected government of Palestine, and they have every right to self defence. They're not terrorists. Uh, they are being terrorised by the Israelis. And I mean, you know, all you need to do is look at this. the kill ratios. It's 100 to 1 or something, isn't it? 100 uh, Palestinians have been killed for every one Israeli. And many of those Israelis were almost certainly killed by the Israeli Defence Force anyway uh, on uh, October the 7th. Yeah, so, but on, I mean, I know but, we've, got but, it, we've got into another topic. I know, here, yeah, but This on, is what I mean about the Church of England. Being Jewish lives. But, I do support. Hang on, I've got a couple on. of friends. One of, them is, one of them is Kevin Barrett, who you may know from 9 11. I know Kevin, yeah. Another one is. David, David Livingston has written these amazing book, Transhumanism, The History of a Dangerous Idea, which is, really looks at the occult roots of this vision, or, vision of a human 2.0 and AI and all this kind of stuff. And both of them uh, grew up in Christian, the Christian faith, uh, converted to Islam because they just found that the people that they were with uh, kept to the, the original tenets of the faith much better than the, the people in their own churches. So they went over to be with people that actually lived the faith. And I think that that's, it's quite fair to say that, uh, that the Muslim faith around the world, that's what they do. I find people who I have, I mean, I live very close next door to Muslims and, and I find them extremely wonderful. Uh, and you can see the glory in, of God in them. In the only words, Muslims I know, T. Yeah. People who genuinely care let about me in. Let me in for a minute. Like the only Muslims I know are among the finest people I've ever known, um, and they are people of faith, real faith. Listen, I'm going to say this because I have to say it because I mean it. The Irish Republican Army lost a lot of support oh. in the Republic of Ireland when they began to blow up pubs in the UK and kill civilians. There was more support in the Republic when they were attacking British garrisons in the six counties. Now, I believe this. I believe the right is with the Palestinian people historically. But if Hamas crosses an illegal fence line and if it shoots innocent men, women and children, and I, I look, there will be listeners who say there's no such thing as an innocent settler, but I'm not getting into that. If you shoot unarmed people dead, you're as bad as that which you claim to want to rid yourself of. We want to unshackle ourselves from the occupiers. I totally get that. But when you kill civilians, you're just as bad. And I've got to say that because I said this on October 7th and I meant it. And I mean it as much today as I did then. A night for an eye makes us all blind. And you become as bad as your occupier when you do things that Hamas is supposed to have done on October 7th. What say you? 
Well, you say supposed to have done. Uh, what I believe that they were doing there was they were t they were killing a lot of military people and security forces, but they were also taking civilian hostages and they weren't killing them. Uh, there, there is the Kibbutz Berry story, uh, which is now pretty well known, where uh, there was a whole load of hostages being held in this kibbutz, and the IDF just demolished the place with tanks. Uh, those, yeah, those but that hasn't been proven, T. 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 That hasn't been proven. That's a theory which has circulated no. around the world five hundred no, no, times. No, I don't think it's a theory. It's well, a there's no proof of it. By one of the Jewish testimony by one of the Jewish survivors that came out, and the tank commander who expressed extreme. Uh, dis being disconcerted about being ordered to fire into the kibbutz. I mean, this is out there. A friendly fire incident. I've read it. I've read it a thousand times, but I don't think it proves it. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen the way you described anyway, it. I'm not I saying that. I don't think they're terrorists. They are not terrorists. They have every right to self-defence. And anyway, the land uh, that is just outside uh, Gaza is occupied territory. This is occupied land. You have no right of, of uh, self-defence, actually, if you've occupied the land. Uh, they have occupied the land, the Israelis and the Israeli Defence Force. So, you know, I think we've just got to have a little bit of uh, understanding of just the oppression that the Palestinians have been under for such a long time. And now, of course, the totally disproportionate response. What about taking away the British and the American and many European countries? 20 countries, I think, in all, has taken away any support for the UN food agency in, in, in Gaza. Yeah, I mean, this is taking the mickey. This was done the day after... Uh, the uh, International Court of Justice uh, came up with their ruling against Israel. And so what do they do? They say, all right, well, I'll tell you what, you've, got, you've managed to get your ruling, but you know what? We're going to starve you. You know, this is, this is what, we're, what we're dealing with. This is evil. It's not just about one side versus the other. They're not at all equal size. The Israelis are nuclear armed. Uh, they have massive support from Rishi Sunak and a few mates up in Whitehall and some people in D.C., but not, of course, the populations of Britain or America. Listen, you and, and I uh, you and I are on the same page. What should happen yeah. is every country in the West should kick out every Israeli ambassador. The Israeli government should be sanctioned yeah. back to the Stone Age. They should well, be yeah, starved yeah, out of existence. The positive, Absolutely. The positive thing in all of this has been the Jordanians. Again, I've just heard... Uh, 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 volunteer pilots, right, from the Jordanian Air Force, uh, getting into transport planes, flying over at the risk of being shot down by the Israelis and dropping aid in. I mean, what heroes the Jordanians are. And of course, this is galvanizing the Jordanian people, uh, you know, in support of their king. Amazing stuff going on over there. And and actually, the, the reason that this is the Jordanians have got so annoyed is because of Ben Gavir and his friends uh, publishing this map of, of the greater Israel, which includes Jordan. So they want to take Jordan over too, you know. So they the Jordanians have now said, right, okay, come on, the Palestinians, are we've got to be 100% behind them. So they've got brave pilots uh, and airmen uh, flying over there, dropping aid into into the Gaza Strip, which I'd like to see the, the Royal Air Force doing that, actually. I'd like to see the US Air Force doing it. I'd like to see some brave British pilots say, why don't we drop some water in? Let's drop some food supplies in there. These people are starving. This is a genocide. It is a genocide. Of course it is. It absolutely is a genocide. Now listen, we've only got 30 seconds because I have a ton of comments to read before I get out. So 30 seconds only. Just before you have a very brief final word, 
I should be harder on you because you know this stuff. You do radio. What about what about the king and his cancer? We ought to talk about that. As if well, we talked about it at the start. I left plenty of room for you to talk about it. We did. We, we, listen, I don't know whether he has cancer or not. Um, I urge well, good, my that's listeners. Exactly my point. Yeah. Well, well, he might or he might not have. Um, Tony has written some brilliant books, including The Siege of Heaven and The Traitors of Ireland. Mm. I can't recommend them highly enough. Do check them out. Thisweek.org.uk, Bilderberg.org. We literally have thirty seconds. Final word to you. Brilliant to have you back on our program, well, and people I mean, should watch. Uh, listen I'll to you on Friday. Charles is, I mean, he's diagnosed and his treatment starts the next day. Wouldn't it be nice if that's for everybody else? But secondly, I mean, I've come across lots of misdiagnosis around cancer over the years. People, friends of mine, young people who were diagnosed with cancer got a second opinion, found it wasn't. Uh, and also, I think that there is, I mean, I'm not saying this is for sure. He may be, he really does. But it's its sort of swamping the news agenda. It's a way of garnering sympathy. Maybe. It may just simply be, a whole thing may just simply be be a psyop. I mean, the guy's basically a narcissist. We know that. Uh, and that's thats not not entirely impossible that, uh, that that's really what's going on. Uh, you know, the guy's, the guy's in charge of this whole COP process, which is, the idea is to divert everybody away from looking at World War Three, which he's also involved in, and uh, and the uh, the whole the whole attempt to yeah, I mean, really, just just bam. I mean, really, what we're getting is a uh, bank bombing us back to the Stone Age by by trying to stop us using cars and this sort of thing. And now we've got the farmer protests, which are also part of King Charles's agenda with zero carbon. They're being told. Uh, they have to have a 90% reduction in, in, in all of the emissions that are used to grow our food. Well, how are they going to grow our food uh, if they're being told that? So there's a whole agenda, I think, basically a deindustrialization agenda behind what Charles is up to. And, and let's not forget, he has picked sides in this, in, in this genocide. And he's also um, very much in charge of, I mean, what does he, what does he, 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 he's appointing ambassadors, he's appointing ministers, he's appointing police chiefs. He's absolutely 100% in charge of all of this. Uh, and so it, almost everything leads back to him. And I think the decay, the national decay, is all down to this one man. And so I'm afraid I just don't necessarily believe him. Uh, I think he's looking for sympathy. I think he's, he's looking to get a whole press campaign around. He realises he's incredibly unpopular and that this might get him a few uh, more percentage points in the polls. I think he's a cuddly, harmless little head of state, a credit to his mummy, and I, I, I love... Go, Charlie, I say. Hey, listen, it's always good to have you on, pal. Uh, come All back right. real soon. Thisweek.org.uk, the politics... Uh, sorry, the not the BCFM politics show, live Fridays, 5 o'clock, don't miss it. It's outstanding. And my final comment to you is a number of listeners said they really loved listening to you uh, speaking with Kerry Cassidy. You see, we listen, T. We listen. Well done. Thanks again and speak soon. OK, lots of love. God bless. Cheers, Richie. Cheers, Bye. T. Bye for now. The great Tony Gosling, who I began speaking with on the radio in Spain back in 2010, would you believe? Long time ago. Uh, the time is now just gone. Uh, nine minutes to the top of the earth. Thank you so much for your messages. Jacob says grooming gangs are not acting upon Islam, but are doing acts clearly forbidden in Islam. They are far from Islamic rulings where relationships before marriage are clearly forbidden. That's from Jacob. Thank you for that. Uh, Jacob, I appreciate it. Hi to Alan Jones. Hello, Alan. Let me read some more of these messages coming in. Thanks for sending them through the website, by the way. And just to let you know, the most recent update by me on the website was about WhatsApp and about connecting to the WhatsApp account for the programme for phone-ins. I'm planning on redeveloping richieallen.co.uk and doing that by by the spring. 
make it look a bit different and give it one or two different functions that it doesn't have now. So just, just leave that with me. In the meantime, the live stream will always be available on richieallen.co.uk in the meantime. And the programme can be heard, of course, via the app. You can download the app. And if you happen to be outside the UK and you go to your app provider on your smartphone and it tells you that the app isn't available in your country, you can download a VPN for free. That is another app, a virtual private network for free, which then confuses um, the, I don't know, whatever it is that prevents you from downloading the app. It um, it confuses it, so it prevents um, it from stopping you downloading the app. Do you get what I'm saying? Download a VPN and then you can download the app. I use a VPN to watch Irish television sometimes. Okay, on Irish websites. Whereas if I didn't use a VPN, it would block me from doing it, because it 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 would read my 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 IP address, and my IP address tells them I am in Salford, and it says you don't have the rights to watch Irish television. We see by your IP address that you are in Salford. Now, what a VPN does is it hides your IP address and allows you to watch content in countries where you don't reside. You get what I'm saying? So it's pretty straightforward, that. So I recommend you download the app. And it's about the most safe app in the world. We don't collect data or any of that old shite. We don't do any of that. You just get to listen to the show, but you can instantly message the studio instantly at the speed of light if you choose uh, to download the app, as I said. Okay, lots of comments coming in on everything we discussed in the first hour. That's it for me, I think, for today. I think it is. Listen, the Papers podcast... In case um, you're not aware of it, I'm sure you are. It is a morning podcast. It is podcast only. Okay, it isn't live. It's something I put on uh, the internet in the early morning. It's me reviewing the UK daily newspapers, looking at the front pages, looking at the stories inside. You'll get it wherever you get your, your, your podcast. But do listen to it on iTunes if you can for the crack, because it keeps the Richie Allen show uh, ticking along nicely in the iTunes daily chart. So do download it via iTunes if you can. I would greatly appreciate that. Is there anything else to tell you today? Is there or is there not? Hi to Jenny. Thanks for your message, Jenny. I appreciate that. Uh, Okay, that's about it then for me. As I said, um, you can hear me tomorrow morning by 7.30 on the Papers podcast. The Richie Allen Show, uh, this show, will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock UK time. At 4 o'clock UK time. Uh, I'll have more guests, more chat, more interaction with you. By the way, you can reach me off air if there's something you need to tell me. If there's a guest you'd like me to interview, go to richieallen.co.uk. At the very top of the page, there is contact. And if you leave a message for me, I will get it. It will come straight through to my email address. If there's something you'd like me to talk about on the programme, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Until tomorrow then. It is bye for me. Bye now. Thank you. And once again, thanks so much to Tony Gosling.